Welcome to the Live Your Legacy podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kelly, and I believe that we all have a unique purpose and can live a powerful legacy by choosing what we do each and every day. I'm excited to welcome Fred Weaver to the show today. Thanks for joining me, Fred. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks, EK. My pleasure. Yeah, I'm awesome. I'm super excited to have you. I uh, really value your friendship, your mentorship. Uh, we're business partners on some stuff. We've been able to collaborate on uh, investments and just do all types of different things. And one of the things that I most admire about you is how much you're consistently looking to add value to other people and make a meaningful difference in, that, in their lives. So I appreciate that about you. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. So for people that may not know you, why don't we talk a little bit about just kind of your origin. I know you're a longtime Arizonian. And so maybe yeah. from, uh, you know, your roots here uh, in the Cactus State and um, and just kind of going forward and, and talking through, um, you know, your your youth and growing up and, and what led you to the, the business that you're in today. Cool. Sounds great. Well, um, as you said, grew up here in Arizona. Uh, I am one of those rare native Arizonans. My dad is a rare native Arizonan and his mom is actually a rare native Arizonan. So several generations of us. I grew up in uh, Glendale, Arizona. I went to Apollo High School, uh, graduated there in 1999 and went on to Arizona State University in Tempe, uh, graduated from ASU in uh, 2003 with a degree in business management and a minor in communication and no clue what I wanted to do in life when I grew up. Um, and, but uh, while I was in, in college, I uh, started working for uh, Washington Mutual Bank, which my dad's always been in the banking side of the business or was in the banking side of the business. So um, I got a job at Washington Mutual, which happened to be where he worked. Also, I uh, had the uh, executive great title of uh, a border, which I think meant I took a loan application that printed out of one computer system and I typed it into another computer system. That was apparently what a border was for whatever you're <laughs> curious about that. But that was my first exposure to real estate, right? It was like actually looking at a loan application, a 1003 and going, all right, here's how, here's a little bit of kind of how the financing industry works uh, along with the, uh, the real estate industry. Huh, that's pretty cool. So that had to be an interesting uh, perspective is just kind of an introduction to the world of real estate. Yeah, for sure. It was an interesting introduction, uh, interesting technology time and uh, uh, interesting interest rate time. There was kind of a refi boom that started happening uh, 2003, 2004 while I worked at Washington Mutual. I eventually, I guess, graduated from being a guy that just typed stuff into the computer systems that didn't talk to each other and uh, worked at the rate lock desk at Washington Mutual Bank. So I got to see people locking in their interest rates, figure out the different pricing, uh, rate sheets, all that good stuff. So that was my introduction to real estate. And while I was at Washington Mutual, um, I met a gentleman there by the name of Mark Collard. He was uh, teaching some products and pricing classes for Washington Mutual, eventually went on to be an account rep for them as well. And uh, Mark and I just kind of hit it off. And, uh, you know, he started telling me about some real estate investments he was doing. So one day I asked him if I could take him to lunch and just kind of learn more about that. Again, here I am, early 20s, no idea what I want to do with my life when I grow up. 
but somebody's telling me they're investing in real estate and it kind of caught my attention. And uh, I knew I was not going to make a very good employee for a long time. I was a really bad employee. I mean, I was a good employee as far as output's concerned, but I'm a noisy pushback, don't like top-down direction, don't like rules that make no sense. So I'm not a corporate guy at all. And uh, I was pretty unhappy there. So anyway, Mark took me under his wing and taught me a little bit about creative financing. And he introduced me to a gentleman by the name of Carlton Sheets, who oh, yeah. had a old, you know, bunch of old late night TV commercials, no money down. And that was basically my introduction to the real estate business was learning about it through the perspective of a real estate investor who didn't have a lot of money. And uh, Mark, uh, you know, taught me a lot of things about real estate. And one day I looked at him and I just said, man, why are you working here? Like you have a, like a unique skill set. And uh, his wife ran a mortgage broker shop at the time. And um, somehow I convinced him that we should both leave our jobs the same day. And so we did. That was May of 2004. And I ventured into the uh, real estate industry. I uh, was not licensed. I was just going to invest in real estate. Had $10,000 in my bank account. Seemed like a lot of money at the time. And yeah. uh, uh, left my you know steady paying job. So really quickly, I figured out if you don't have a lot of money coming in, it uh, forces you to make some decisions that maybe you shouldn't make, especially when you're trying to invest. And investing is a lot about you know making the right decision, buying low, selling high, looking for opportunity, not feeling like you have to be doing something to invest. And uh, so anyway, I um, eventually went and got my real estate license in September of 2004, a couple months after leaving Washington Mutual. And the thought process there was Mark's wife uh, had a lot of uh, real estate clients that were buying houses. She was doing the loans. And in a really odd universe, somehow these people didn't all have real estate agents. Like who goes to a loan officer without a real estate agent, right? Almost unheard of. Interesting. And I was like, there's an opportunity. I'm going to go get my license and we're going to sell these people houses if they don't have a real estate agent. So that's how I entered into the real estate industry. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop there in my story and let you decide where you want to go from there. But that's a little bit of how I found my way into real estate. Uh, I think that's amazing. And, uh, you know, going back, I've tried to archive some of the old trainings I've done over the years, like the cassette edition of the Carlton sheets from the, yeah. the infomercial, <laughs> you know, just for uh, preserve them for, uh, you know, future generations, I guess, just for humor, yeah. if nothing else. But um, l- launching into that with $10,000, it does seem like a lot of money in one perspective, but I'm sure when your burn rate is going quicker than your earn rate, it, it uh, creates some anxiety pretty quickly. It, it did. Um, in fact, I made the decision when I left Washington Mutual, I knew I was going to be putting myself in a situation where I didn't have a lot of steady income. So I actually made the decision to ask my parents if I could go back and move back back in home. Right. So I had been out of college and living in an apartment and outside of, you know, my parents' house, minus maybe a month or two in the summer when I was a freshman or something, but I'd been out on my own, uh, you know, graduated college and everything. And here I am, I'm like, Hey, can I come live at home for just a couple of months until I figure out what I'm going to do and where money's going to come in. Cause I, you know, need to be saving yeah. all that I can. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't say this to brag on myself, but I, I had such a desire to get out of that whole job and corporate thing that I was willing to do about whatever. So I knew it was a little bit of an ego hit to move back in with my parents at 23 or 24. Um, But I also knew that like it was going to put me in a really bad driving situation. Mark and his wife, Michelle, at the time lived uh, in Lascendus, Northeast Mesa, Arizona. And my parents lived in Arrowhead, uh, Northwest (laughs) Glendale. 
And so I drove literally 49, 50, 51 miles one way, you know, just to, to get to get to work, right. To show up every day and hang out with Mark and, you know, kind of, kind of figure out what our next thing was. And so uh, I had a lot of car time. I had a lot of, uh, you know, opportunity to listen to those cassette tapes and thinking and talking. And, uh, but it was, I, I knew it was the right move. It wasn't a comfortable move, but I knew it was the right move. So then you jumped into the default profession of choice, real estate, when you decide yep. you're unemployable and, and uh, you don't want to go get a job. And uh, I certainly applaud you for making the sacrifice because I think that's the difference between people that are interested and truly committed or, or they're passionate about something, but that passion is fleeting versus something that they're like really purposeful about. So talk about that early time in real estate. You jumped in, you obviously didn't have a lot of savings at that time. Uh, you're kind of hustling and trying to find, you're basically unemployed all the time until you're closing uh, on a sale and then you're unemployed again. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, from what I remember, it was just, uh, I I was clear that I was unhappy in corporate America. Here I was out of college, kind of following my dad's path of having a job at the bank. And I was like, this is not my life. I don't know what my life is, but it is not that. So I'm going to run far away from it. So I was really clear on what I didn't want, which sometimes is a key to figuring out what you do want in life. And um, yeah, I was willing to make whatever sacrifices it it took. And uh, so I... um, you know, I, I'll, I'll, you know, admittedly say that I have a great family, a very, you know, nice household that I grew up in. And so I knew I, my family would have my back. If I needed to go borrow money from my dad, he probably would have loaned it to me. I, I didn't want to have to do that, but right. it was all about like, let's, let's go, right. Give him a little bit of padding. You say I didn't have much. 10,000 seemed like a lot of money in 2003 <laughs> or whatever, right? Like, I don't know. It just seemed like a lot at the time. Uh, but, uh, it gave me enough runway to, to go figure out how to create some income from there and and how to, how to stir some things up. And, um, you know, I I think you just, uh, for me, I had to go move forward, whatever forward was towards something that I had an interest in and and leave behind the thing that I knew wasn't for me and and try to try to figure it out. And it didn't, it didn't end up looking like I thought it would, right. I left Washington Mutual thinking I'm going to be a professional real estate investor. And how many people, you know, wake up and read a Robert Kiyosaki book, right. And think that, or, or whatever it may be, but then you realize, well, I need some active income coming in to probably be a professional investor. And so uh, it just made sense to go out and get the real estate license. I felt like that was the area I could go make an active income. And I should also share at the time I started originating loans as well. So I, uh, Mark and Michelle were, were, Michelle was really busy. It was a big refi boom then. So I started helping her originate loans, bring in some money in that way as well. Uh, ran their whole business for a week while they went to Mexico. That was a nightmare. I had no idea what I was doing, but somehow managed to keep all like 15, 20 loans going forward uh, while they were gone for a week with no, no reception coverage and everything else. So it was just, you know, moving, moving towards something that I was interested in moving away, something that I didn't like. Um, you know, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but one of my mentors today or somebody that I at least admire, his name's Joe Polish. I know, you know, Joe, and yeah. he has this, this saying, he says, you know, he calls it elf versus half. And ELF is about doing things that are easy, lucrative, and fun uh, versus things that are hard, annoying, lame, and maybe maybe do make some money, right? Um, but, yeah. I, you know, I, I, it, not to say the path was easy, but what I was moving towards was something that seemed fun and attracted me. And I knew it was also lucrative. And uh, so I just, just kept moving in that direction until I, I sort of figured it out. And, um, you know, it, it, from there, it turned into 
acquiring a decent amount of real estate, but buying it all completely wrong. Um, you know, the it was easy to get loans in 2004, 2005. And so yeah. I went out and got a lot of those and bought a lot of property. Uh, but then I watched the market turn and had no idea it was turning. And so I found myself a very uh, unsuccessful investor really quickly. Um, but from there, I pivoted into recognizing that there was a way to help myself and others from getting out from underneath all the debt that we had found ourselves in and found myself moving into the short sale side of the business. And that's where Kevin, my business partner, and I kind of connected and started building something. Yeah, I think that's really uh, you know, profound in your experience, though, because um, you, know, you have the tenacity when when you didn't have a lot to start with, you know, as Tony Robbins uh, teaches, the motivating forces in life are inspiration and desperation. You, you had kind of a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, but you had real clarity about what you wanted to do. And as you pointed out, that came from being really clear on what you didn't want for your life. Mm-hmm. And that really revealed the clarity that you did want. Um, and it, it takes some courage to take a leap of faith like that. A lot of courage, um, definitely a hit to the ego. Um, how did you manage your mindset through all of that time? And we'll get to, to what happened, but when you were building and going through the growth of not knowing what you were doing, but still just showing up every day and making it happen, like, how did you manage your own mindset and focus and, and, uh, kind of stave off fear and anxiety during that time to keep going in a positive direction? Yeah, to me, that one's a pretty easy answer. It had to do with the people I was hanging around. I mean, Mark was a, a great mentor for me. And Mark has a lot of flaws. If he was on here, I would say the same thing. I love that guy to death. He's got a lot of flaws, but what he doesn't lack is confidence and the ability to dig himself out of a hole and the mindset to figure out solutions and, a, and just a solution-based mentality uh, yeah. around life. And so I picked that up from him and, and adopted that mindset. And it was a very different mindset than the mindset I grew up around and the you know safety, security, all that type of mindset that's taught through school, family, et cetera. And um, so I, I ventured into a, a realm that probably went a little, little too far on that side of things and have come back, but, you know, uh, of just looking for solutions, being willing to do things that other people weren't willing to do and take on a mentality of, of you know, finding, finding ways to make things happen. So uh, I would just say it, was, it had to do with the people I was surrounded with. Yeah, that's, that's such a great point. I mean, it definitely makes a huge difference. Um, so you had some early success. You were able to build a pretty significant portfolio in, in real estate at a young age and fairly quickly. And then all of a the sudden, there's this radical market shift, uh, things that really not too many people could have even anticipated because of what was going on behind the scenes in the lending industry, particularly. Um, how do you weather that storm? And, uh, and, and you really created something great uh, out of that, which I'm excited to talk about as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say I weathered that storm by any means. I mean, I found myself on paper feeling like I was doing the right things, you know, over a year or two's period of time. And then as the market shifted, I quickly figured out, you know, that paper wealth was, uh, was gone really, really quickly and didn't have reserves, didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, influx cash flow coming in. And so I found myself in a, in a bad spot, found myself upside down on a lot of properties, unable to pay my bills. 
I thought my best method was to, you know, I just, I believe in keeping your agreements at, at all costs. And so my solution to keeping my agreement was to go further into debt, uh, you know, borrowing against credit cards, doing all kinds of stuff just to try to keep paying the bills until eventually you realize, well, that, that runway is pretty short. And if you're truly going to, you know, go under, you're going under. So, you know, never filed bankruptcy or anything like that could have very easily, but I uh, found myself uh, re- renegotiating my existing agreements with banks. Some of that looked like short sales. Some of that looked like, okay, you don't like our agreement, then your option, according to the note we all signed, is you can take my property back via foreclosure. Had some of those as well. And, um, you know, but the one thing I did was I made sure all the people I had personally borrowed money from, because we did, you know, again, you read that Carlton Sheet stuff, you go through the no money down, you figure out there's a OPM, right? Other people's money, you figure out there's ways to buy property. And so, um, you know, we went in with really good intentions, but did borrow a significant amount of other people's money on properties. And it was all secured and stuff like that, secondary position. But hey, at the end of the day, when the market goes goes down, you know, those people, you know, and those homes were short sold or foreclosed on, they lost their position real quick. So I did make sure it took me many, many years, um, but I did make sure I went back and paid all those people off um, over, over many, many years. And I, my, the, you know, the joy or the, I guess the, the bright side that came out of that is that uh, I figured out how to do a short sale. And I figured out over time that you could actually get paid by the bank for selling a home that, uh, you know, that the bank was taking a loss on and uh, pivoted and turned that into what sort of launched my real estate business. I, I sold 32, 34, 36, something like that homes in 2005 as a traditional agent, a lot of buy, yeah. buy side deals. A few listings, uh, but you know, in, in 2007 and 2008, I started taking a lot of short sale listings and transitioned, and actually started creating a business around you know real estate transactions, leveraging uh, my knowledge or my pursuit of figuring out how to get short sales done. Yeah. Well, that was such a challenging time too. I mean, especially psychologically, and I think so many people uh, were operating in integrity, as were you. And, um, you know, honor you for, for honoring those agreements with everyone that you could. But the reality is on the lending side of things, the rules changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. And what was causing the, the mortgage meltdown or whatever triggered, you know, the, the, however people want to label what triggered that the housing crash at that time was uh, all stuff that was beyond anybody's control. Any consumer, any real professional in the real estate industry that was trying to help their clients. Um, it's just it, it, the landscape changed dramatically. And yeah, it, it, Sorry, but by 07, 08, it was pretty clear in the landscape that the government was interested in keeping banks afloat, not necessarily keeping Mr. and Mrs. Smith and Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner afloat. And so that made some of my decisions pretty easy. I recognized that I wasn't going to get the bailout, neither were some of my friends, but the banks were. So great, let them take the losses and we'll renegotiate. That's their risk and we kind of move on. But thank goodness to learn some of those lessons in my early to mid 20s versus you know, to have learned them at a different stage in life, I, I, it really positioned me to have a different mindset and a different approach going forward. So talk about how that shaped your, um, your own personal, you know, financial perspective and what you started to prioritize and maybe ways that you started to live differently in your life uh, coming out of that time. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I went into a mode of just debt pay down, getting out of debt. Um, I used debt to create assets and net worth and and then quickly figured out that that debt 
backfired against me in that that time frame anyway. And so I went, went the opposite direction. I went more into a Dave Ramsey mode of like, hey, we're going cash. We're paying these bills down. I got I got all these obligations over here. I got to got to get them paid off. And so went pretty hard that way for probably five, six, seven years. I would say. Um, until until I kind of came out of it, and, you know, I sold sold a lot of real estate between 2000 and I'll say 2008, but maybe 2009 and 2012. But you remember some of those days; those sales prices weren't real big, and the amount of time that it took to negotiate those deals took took quite a while. And so, um, you know, I was back to making good money, but but when you're paying off a lot of debt, there wasn't a lot left over either. And I wasn't thinking, you know, get back into a build mode. I was really thinking like completely get that, that past, you know, behind me. And so I just shifted a different direction. I wish I'd been a little more open-minded to um, build wealth again, instead of just paying down debt. Uh, but at the same token, I took the path I took and I'm not, I don't, I don't regret it by any means. I paid the people off I needed to position myself again to get back into the game of, you know, buying more real estate over the past couple of years. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is remarkable about what you did and it is coming out of that which really impacted your personal life. I mean, definitely uh, there were there are things that impacted your lifestyle. There were things that impacted probably your ego and your confidence and um, even like some self-trust, like on decisions. Like it was such a crazy time, I think, for people emotionally. And you took that and said, I'm going to use this as fuel to find a solution to think creatively and figure out how I can add value and how I can capitalize on the place we're at today and say, how do I go forward in a productive way? And, and you and your business partner, Kevin, mutual friend of ours, really built an amazing business and added a tremendous amount of value to people. So how did you make that transition and talk a little bit about that business and that time? Well, I mean, it, it just, I don't know. It seemed like the next logical step. I found myself underwater, you know, owing more against properties than they were worth. And I had helped a lot of other people buy investment properties and kind of believe in this whole idea of we're all creating wealth. And so I had a pretty big sphere of prospective clients that looked a lot like myself, right? And so I kind of knew what I needed and I knew that some of the pain that some of those folks were in. So as hard as it was to go to those people and say, hey, we were doing this, but you know, we got to go do this now. I, that, I, I leveraged those relationships to start building some short sales. So um, Kevin and my's partnership, uh, I guess, kind of loosely started in 2007 when he got his real estate license, the summer of 07. I think that was about the time he met you. Um, he, he kind of uh, recruited me over to Keller Williams Realty unknowingly. I was at Century 21 at the time. And uh, then a couple months later, February of 08, we sat down and decided to partner up in real estate. But partner up is just more of like, you know, you asked, how did you survive? You know, the first thing, it was about mindset. And so for Kevin and I, I was like, man, we're stronger together than we are apart. Like you can get beat up by these banks uh, sitting at home all day on hold for an hour, hour and a half or sending emails that never get returned. So maybe we'll just share an office together and maybe we'll learn learn more, right? Or we'll move ourselves further ahead. It was a lot easier for me to show up knowing I had somebody else there in the trenches with me every day than kind of carry that whole burden myself. So we started that in February of 08. And then we figured out we were we were learning something. I mean, we, we were a little early, but we figured out we should start teaching short sale classes um, not because we had a, a history of, you know, hundreds of closed short sales at the time, but rather because uh, the other short sale education we heard out there was terrible. And we knew that we knew more than what we were listening to. So said, so we'll just share in real time what we're going through, what we've learned, the successes we're having, the failures we're having. And it, uh, it started kind of, you know, I would say landing, if you will, with the real estate agents in the industry at the time. A lot of people would come to our classes and start learning from us and 
we weren't smart enough to realize it, but it turned out to be one of our best lead generation techniques was teaching. Uh, and people would either come in and learn and appreciate the relationship and go out and do it themselves. Or they'd sit through our class and realize, man, I don't ever want to do what you guys are teaching me to do, but I can tell you know what you're doing here. Here's a referral for you. And so um, that really kind of catapulted, if you will, the second part of my real estate license business. I think I was one of those people on numerous <laughs> occasions because I sat through your class and I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. I don't know if <laughs> I have the patience or tenacity or resilience to do any of the stuff that they're doing. It sounds awful. So uh, let me just refer some deals their way when, when yeah. clients that need help. Um, I mean, you know, I, again, it was probably age, timing and everything else, right? But here I am, early 20s. Um, I got married. My wife and I got married in the summer of 07. Kevin and his wife got married in the fall of 07. And so here's two guys. guys good closers. Yeah, right. Good closers. <laughs> here's guys that are like up to their eyeballs in debt, don't have any assets left in early 08 and are newly married and we're in our you know mid 20s at the time and it's just like we gotta we gotta i mean what do we do go take a job we both hated corporate america coming out of different corporate jobs and so it was like hey let's go take the dirtiest messiest thing we can find and figure it out right and uh and it happened to align with you know my own needs that i had as well and so that's what we did figured it out and and then turned it into an opportunity as well so um you know for anybody out there just getting started or whatever else i mean it's like you know, you got to go sell. If you if you live in Phoenix and you're listening to this podcast, maybe you got to go, you know, sell a house out in Buckeye or, you know, somewhere else, right? Extremely far outskirts of the city before you get your first Paradise Valley listing. But sometimes you have to do the dirty grunt work that nobody else wants to, to get the reps and get the confidence and get the money in your in your pocket to then be able to survive another day. Yeah. Well, there's less competition in the complex, you know, because a lot of people won't endeavor it. And one of the things that I've always admired about you guys is the business systems that you created around a very complex and prolonged process, like short sale negotiation and managing a, a escrow over many, many months. And sometimes years, you probably had some that, that spanned more than a 12-month calendar. Um, and being able to successfully get an outcome for the clients you were representing is, is really incredible. So talk a little bit about that, because I think that's one of the things that you're best at is really understanding business principles and then creating a system around them and then being able to, to translate that into um, action or communication that, that is really clear to other people. Yeah, well, I mean, it probably just starts with I'm a little bit type A, like I'm, I'm not the most detailed systems oriented person on the planet. There's a lot of people that are better at that than I am. But it started with just recognizing that, I mean, with these short sales, they were so long and so complicated that we, I had to create a little system. So I remember we used to run to Staples and get those uh, file folders that had like six sections in them, you know, so like there are a couple, you know, that yeah. you two hole punch them. And so we created essentially like six main sections of the file, right? One section had the financials of the homeowner. One had a note section on every interaction or every time you called or emailed somebody at the bank, you know, you made a note of it. And another one was any correspondence maybe that came back from the bank. And then the other one was maybe the purchase contract and addendums and whatever else. And it was just trying to keep it organized, honestly, because you realize like my time as a loan officer in 0405 probably greatly helped me with the short sales because I eventually connected to the fact that a short sale was just a 
instead of a qualification, it was a, it was a disqualification. So it was taking some of the stuff I learned in the mortgage business with, with, you know, 1003s and applications and all that stuff and recognizing that the bank wanted some of that same stuff. It's just, instead of trying to qualify you and put a proof stamp on there and let you close your loan, you were trying to prove to them that they, that you couldn't continue paying this. Right. So being organized, having all that paperwork, remembering from, you know, processing loans back in the day that, you know, if you didn't have the full number of bank, if it said 12 pages in the bank statement, you only sent 10 and you thought the last two pages were blank and they weren't going to care about it. Well, they were going to care about it. They were going to want pages 11 and 12. Right. And so the same thing was kind of, kind of true on that side. So that's how Kevin and I started with, with these little, you know, six section staples uh, folders. And then from there, we, we recognized that we needed help and needed other people that would fax the paperwork in on our behalf and call the bank and get through some of the initial steps. And we would come in later. So then we, uh, you know, I think we moved into some different software systems where we could all share some of that paperwork easier. So I don't know, we, you know, looking back on it, we could have built a much bigger business around it, you know, if we had the, had sort of the experience that we have today, but uh, in the moment we were just doing what seemed like the next logical step to allow us to continue to expand and continue to service and help more people. Yeah. Well, I think there's an important lesson too in, in what you did, because you guys really traveled around the country teaching on short sales. And, you know, you mentioned that that translated into a lot of referrals and, and a, other agents that were feeding you business. But what is interesting to me about that is you really came from contribution. You're like, hey, this is complex. And, and we have really, um, you know, kind of struggled through this process and gotten it refined. And so if we can go add value to other people, then that makes us all better. Right. And uh, yeah. I, I think you really, I don't think you went out with that intention. I think you went out just to, to add value to other people and, you know, talk about that, how that's expanded your network. Cause I think you guys are great at relationships, but I think the roots of it are, are during that time. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we went out, I think, I think probably the the motivating factor was debunking what so many people thought and what the banks told you was the way to get your short sale done. And I, I mean, Kevin and I have both share this common thread amongst us that like, we're kind of the truth tellers, even when it pisses people off, even when people don't want to hear it, even when it's the truth that nobody else in the room wants to say, like him and I are the ones that like to say it. I don't know what that is about us, but it is a little <laughs> thing, a common thread that we share. And so, um, you know, we, uh, we just want to get out there and kind of share that message. And uh, in the process, we sold some short sell product, probably way undersold it for, you know, for how grateful people were that took that stuff and did something with it and whatever else. But what it really built, what you alluded to is just a really strong national network of agents that uh, to this day, we were, even if I don't talk to somebody once in a while, I'll cross paths and they'll tell us like, just how thankful they are. They wouldn't be in the business today if we hadn't been there 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 14 years ago, and they hadn't listened to our blog or, you know, our videos or hadn't come to a class. So it created a strong connection because um, we were out there just slinging the truth and saying what it saying, you know, here's what it is. Here's how you really get it done. And people respected that. And it connected a lot of people to us. There were some other people that didn't respect it as much. And <laughs> about them. They didn't do much for us anyway, but it built a, a national network of agents. To this day, I think we still share a very special bond and uh, it's created and other opportunities that have come later through brokerages and businesses and things that we've done uh, that started back in 2009, 10, 11. Well, and I think the great lesson in that is if you can walk with people uh, and, and contribute to them in times of adversity or uncertainty, uh, that does form a really strong bond with them. And um, that's something that people don't forget. And, 
you know, I think there's uh, we're in a market right now that is uh, that is shifting again. There's probably people that have a lot of anxiety about that. What are you sharing with like your agents and the, and the people that you coach around the country? Like, what are those conversations right now? Yeah, I'll give you a couple like bullet points, if you will, just to kind of go through that fairly quickly for you. I, the first thing is that um, your language matters a lot. And so if you're calling the market that we're heading into the odd, unusual, weird, strange market, your, your language is all backwards. The, the market right. we just came out of is the weird, unusual, strange, abnormal market, right? Like where houses sell in seven to 72, 73 hours, whatever, over the first yeah. weekend. Like that's unusual. That's not normal, right? And so the market we're moving into now is actually the normal market where there's just a reset of expectations. So I think language is super important. Um, the other thing is, you know, you've got to be aware of what's going on in the market. You've got to obviously look at your market stats. I mean, goodness gracious, I wish in 05, 06, when I was still buying property because the lending guidelines were still loose, I wish somebody had said, hey, do you realize months of supply has gone up from X to X? Do you realize the absorption rate is now this? I mean, I, there are so many deals that I would not have bought had I recognized the shift that started to happen in the market in 05, right when I was just starting to buy, um, you know, talk about terrible timing. So I think being aware of market stats, but then my next bullet point or point after that would be, but don't be so aware of it that you're consumed by it because you can read some of these market stats and you can get a sense or a feeling of like doom, right? It's like, in 08, if you read the headlines, like in 09, like real estate was bad, yet here Kevin and I were building our business, selling more homes per month than we had ever dreamed of, helping people, right? So um, the, the, the stats matter, but they matter to... Um, you know, to alter or shift or change your approach, they don't they don't determine your success level. Um, so know the stats, but don't don't be uh, you know obviously don't be stuck with the results of what everybody says you should be getting. Um, and then and then from there, I think we're just moving into a skill based market. So this is the market where you've got to go learn skills. You've got to you've got to learn how to qualify a seller better than ever before and ask more uncomfortable questions than you've ever asked before. You've got to educate your buyers and believe in home ownership at a greater level than you've ever believed in before. Um, so consultations matter, qualification matters, um, and then you've got to just know what's available out there, right? Knowing about rate buy downs, knowing um, what loans can be assumed and how you would go through that process and bringing um, that messaging to your clients. I, the biggest thing I'm saying to the folks around us right now in our community and team is like, there, we're in a little bit of a survival period right now in July, August of 2022. And I don't, when I say survival, I don't mean like you shouldn't be making money, but you're trying to just while other people are getting out of the business, you're just trying to stay in right now. And we'll figure out what the new normal is in our market and what the new strategies are and what the new things are that we can do to grow a business after this market settles. Um, but right now it's still shifting, especially in the Phoenix area. The market is still shifting too dramatically to, to know where it's going to settle and to know what your new business plan should be. So survive as best as you can right now to then be able to live some, some bigger, better, brighter days up ahead. Yeah, I think that's really, really sound advice. And to your point, I mean, that the market was so swayed the other direction and in such a fierce frenzy in a lot of markets around the country that in some ways it's really just normalizing now. I mean, we're getting back to a more normal market and, um, and that's probably a really healthy thing. Uh, so you've run a nationwide team for many, many years, uh, lots of different locations, multiple states selling hundreds of homes a year. 
Um, how has your business transitioned and, and how has your role transitioned and talk about some of the things that you're focused on now? Yeah, well, um, you know, Kevin and I started uh, in business together in February of 08. Uh, we both joined Keller Williams in 07. So we had an 11 year run at, at uh, an amazing brokerage that created a ton of friendships and taught us a lot, you know, Keller Williams Realty. And then that season ended and that chapter was over and we moved on and uh, moved forward and moved into EXP Realty about four years ago now, June of 2018. And um, since that move, our businesses has has modified and changed and grown a lot. Um, our expansion today looks a lot different than it did five years ago uh, when we were still at Keller Williams. But today we have almost 2000, uh, what I would consider some degree expansion partners or community members that are a part of our community at EXP Realty. And, um, you know, you, you and Kevin and I get to create that community together and are doing a lot of fun stuff there as well. And so um, that's been awesome. I mean, we're still selling a couple hundred homes a year and um, that's good. But the focus has changed a little bit more to a national focus on just bringing people into what I believe is the very best brokerage that I've ever been a part of that has created more wealth and more opportunities for me than ever before. That is entrepreneurial, which I love, if you can't tell from my story, um, that, uh, that rewards its agents in a bigger and better way than ever before. And so uh, we've been focused a lot more on growing the brokerage and growing our national and now international community, um, while at the same time servicing our Phoenix, Arizona real estate clients and uh, supporting a couple of our uh, team members, supporting our team members in Phoenix and a couple other team members outside of Phoenix and Denver and Central uh, Coast of California and Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Talk about what you're studying right now with regard to leadership and entrepreneurship and business and kind of how you're thinking about the go forward uh, strategy. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't, I mean, I'm, I don't know that I've ever been one that's loved studying leadership. I've read a handful of John Maxwell books. They've never done much for me. Um, I, I'd rather just kind of listen and follow and pick up, you know, on what other leaders are doing that I like to follow or that I like to listen to. Um, I'm a little bit more of a touchy feely, I guess, from that standpoint of just kind of feeling out what, what feels good and what doesn't, yeah. um, you know, Kevin and I are, you know, I, I don't know, we, we, we kind of fit a weird mold, but we have a lot of similarities. So it's worked really well for the two of us, but you know, the way we run our business and our team is very different. I don't know that we try to teach anybody to do it exactly the way we do it, but it works really, really well for us. And, um, so, you know, going forward, I'm, um, you know, I have been reading a few more business books or listening to them on audio as I was sharing with you the other day. I'm not really much into sitting there reading those business books for me, listening to a lot of podcasts though. And, um, you know, ultimately just, I've gotten to a place in life where I've been able to um, make a active amount of money that greatly exceeds what my living expenses are and also make a residual, or if you want to use the word passive amount of money that greatly exceeds what my, what my needs are. And so that's created some really cool opportunities. Um, you know, I joining eXp Realty, uh, the income that we created through the various uh, stock programs, revenue share, et cetera, at eXp um, sort of made um, our, our team income uh, in inconsequential. Not that I don't care for it or it doesn't matter, but well, we exceeded that. And so now what I'm trying to do is 
take some of the additional revenue and business income and uh, that we've made from EXP and go make EXP not matter, if you will. And, and all, you know, all I mean by that is like just taking the extra and, and investing in other businesses, other opportunities, more real estate, and, uh, and, and hopefully looking up in a couple of years and forgetting that there was a moment in time there for five or six or seven years where I'd never bought a real piece of property or never focused on wealth building. And uh, hopefully I can er erase some of those memories by, uh, you know, kind of, kind of ex ex expediting, if you will, some of that right now. Yeah. What do you love most about the real estate industry? I mean, I just love that, uh, you know, I love that there's a group of people that have been in it for a while that make up a very small percentage of the total agent population, but they're the ones that really make this industry move. They're the ones that uh, uh, really get things done. So I love that. Um, I love the entrepreneurial spirit of it. I It's got enough of a format that you can come in and there's some you know, things that you can follow and past you can follow to, to create success, but um, not so much that you have a boss looking over your shoulder all the time telling you how it always has to be done. And so, um, you know, and then of course, I love that real estate, being a real estate agent, you know, there's nobody else on the planet that sees as many real estate investment opportunities as we do as agents. So for those that actually want to build wealth, which is why I got into this business in the first place, investing in real estate and building wealth, um, we're presented with an incredible opportunity because we get to make active money while we're searching for our next best investments that we, uh, that we want to participate in. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, what some people may not know also is that you're a seasoned veteran of uh, Dave Matthews shows. Uh, um, yeah, I have, a, I have a friend that, uh, that likes to go to a lot of those shows with me. So. so talk a little bit about that journey <laughs> and maybe share uh, a few of your favorite songs. Uh, that's funny. So for those of you who don't know, Eric and I share a, a, a love of uh, live music and specifically going to Dave Matthews Band concerts. Uh, let's see, my first show was in 1999. My friend David Valacorsa, my best friend growing up, or one of my two best friends growing up, um, drugged me along to a show. He was really into him and I was like, yeah, I don't know. And uh, after that show, I was just like, this is, this is the best thing ever. Sat in the lawn and uh, I think it was July 6th, 1999. I think something like that. Anyway, it was so and just to be clear, he strongly encouraged you to come. He didn't drug you. And yeah, take he you strongly encouraged me to come. So, and I, I loved it. And uh, uh, he, he's turned me into uh, quite the fan. So I just, uh, I'll say this because you're on here and at least, you know, you and I won't laugh at each other too much, but I just saw my, I think my 85th Dave Matthews band show this weekend with uh, this past weekend with you. And, that warrants uh, a virtual high five right there. Uh, all right. Yeah. Uh, outside of Wisconsin. For those of you who think we're crazy, um, no, crazy is some of the people I know that have seen 250 and 300 plus shows. So my 80 doesn't even compare. Uh, that's also over 23 years. So you can do the math. Yeah, it's a lot of concerts for one band. But you know what I love about DMB is that you can show up to a show and you never have any idea what they're going to play. I mean, you just don't. Uh, you know, they played a song this past weekend with you and I that the band themselves has never played uh, that I heard Dave and a couple other uh, musicians play way back in, what did we figure, 2004? Yeah. Uh, so you just never know what, what they're going to play uh, any given night. Every set list is different. And uh, so, yeah, so I love it. It's one of my joys. I love traveling, too. I love going to new places, checking out new things. So business travel once or twice a month and for sure, you know, a couple trips throughout the year for some concerts, that kind of travel. It does me good. I, I, uh, I think really well out of state. I get creative ideas when I'm on business trips. Uh, I turn it off pretty well uh, as well. So that uh, helps me out a lot. Awesome. Well, yeah, I want to ask favorite one. songs. I don't know, man. There's too many. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot, whatever they're playing that night. 
it's like a familiar surprise going to a show, right? That's right. And Dave yeah. Matthews Band fans are crazy. We understand. But, you know, if you've never been to a show, go to come to a show. Well, let me ask you one more uh, business question. And I, and I second that endorsement. It is an experience to see a live show. Um, so uh, talk a little bit about leverage. Like you've built a really scaled business and, and you have attracted and developed uh, some amazing people in your business and in your life. And can you talk a little bit about leverage lifestyle and what that journey has been like, where you've added it and what it's created in your life? Yeah, you know, when you say journey, that's a great word for it because I don't think that I was ever shown a model for leverage, like growing up at a high level anyway. What I mean by that is like, I'm the guy that, you know, has always cleaned his own house, cleaned his own room, done, you know, I, I, there's a little bit of pride in doing stuff for myself. And so over the last 20 years, you know, um, from everything from being a part of every step in the real estate transaction to, uh, you know, leveraging nearly all of that out uh, to, you know, obviously, you know, you're not, you don't have a house cleaner, you are the house cleaner, hiring that out, yard work, I mean, you name it, um, to even over the last year or so, um, you know, having an executive assistant that does things that I'm like, I could just easily do that. But, you know, I have that support and have that, have that role. So um, it's been a journey for me. There's a little bit of like, um, mindset still, it's always like, I can do that better, or I'll just take care of that. But then there's this other mindset that knows that if I don't have stuff on my plate, I'm a lot more creative. Uh, I'm going to come up with a lot better ideas. My quality of life with my family is a lot better. And so I've, I've, uh, you know, succumbed to leverage. And I think some people are resistant to leverage for whatever reasons it may be, both in their personal life or their professional life. Um, but I, I think that, um, you know, there's a mindset and a learning curve and a journey there of, of going through and recognizing, yeah, maybe everything won't be done exactly like you would have done it. But in some cases, it's done even better. In other cases, it's not. And then you create better systems or find better people, you know. And so it's a journey of, uh, of failing forward for sure. It's not a journey of like success with leverage is not, does not do this. Like it's, it's, it's step forward, a couple steps back, a couple steps forward, step back, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's funny. I looked up a couple months ago and I, I felt kind of bored for the first time. I told, told Kevin, I didn't really felt like I needed to find something to do or whatever else. Thankfully the summer's shown up. So had more family time, had more vacations. And so that's kept me busy. But, um, you know, I, I think I got to a all time high in leverage a couple of months ago where it felt really weird because I was showing up at the office and not having like more than a half a day's worth of work to do, asking myself, what else am I supposed to be doing right now? And that felt weird for a little while. But then again, when I've been in it and I've worked the 10, 12, 14 hour days, five, six, seven days a week, um, you know, when you're in those moments or the times when you're going, gosh, I need the leverage, right? So it's a yeah. constant journey of like a little bit of back and forth, figuring out what you want. And, uh, you know, I, I guess sort of giving up some control, which I'm a big control freak, which is probably why leverage over time has been harder for me, a longer journey. That's awesome. That's great perspective. And I think a lot of us struggle with control. And, you know, to your point, uh, you're making space for creativity. Mm -hmm. I think that also is the space where we have time to think and there's some clarity and, and we get to prioritize the things that are really important to us, like you with your family. So, yeah, yeah I think it's really important. Well, this has been a great conversation, super insightful as we wrap up. Uh, I love to ask um, all of our guests, what is important to you about your personal legacy? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm probably less clear than most people, but I'll share with you what I can today. Um, 
I have a son that will turn six in a couple months. Uh, and so that's a, a big part of my life, you know, a family that I just uh, want to take care of. I want to know that they're taken care of, that, uh, um, that essentially we can wake up every day and do whatever it is we want to do. Right. Um, you know, short of maybe going out and buying three jets a week or something. Um, but you know, that we can go out and live the lifestyle we want and create the memories and, and, and do that kind of stuff. And so, um, that, that's a big part of it. And, um, you know, I, I, it's not all about wealth accumulation, but there is a degree of just like wanting to continue to build wealth because, um, you know, the more I, I have, the more I can do for myself and for others. Um, and, you know, it, it's like, I don't know, sometimes I settle in and I go, well, what is, is there a too much? I know there's a too little, I've been there, right? Like, I don't, you know, is there a too much or is there a just right amount? And I, I guess when I find myself in those moments, I just try to think of, uh, you know, the family and leaving more behind and ha- having more to do to help others and, and you know, truly uh, come from a place of, you know, can't, can't have enough because there's a lot of people out there that need our help and that, that we could make a, an impact on. So uh, that's probably it. I think more than anything is just sort of modeling the behavior for my son, right, uh, of what it looks like to, uh, to, to build businesses and a lifestyle and things like that, that you can get what you want because um, it's all possible. Um, and it's just, you know, figuring out what your journey is, what you're passionate about and finding, finding your place. Oh, awesome. Thank you, my friend. It's been an honor to have you. I'm always grateful for our time together and yeah, uh, bud. appreciate it. Eric, thanks for all you do for our community, man. And, uh, thanks for this podcast that you've uh, fairly recently started. I know you're impacting a lot of lives by doing this, man. So it's part of, part of your legacy. I love it. Well, thank you. My pleasure. I know this conversation will resonate with a lot of people. All right, man. All right, be well. Peace. Bye.